How is it going, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of Buddy's House of Horror Podcast slash 15 Phenomenal Facts slash Watch Along Commentary. Um, today, we're going to be watching The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, another film that is basically public domain. I think there's still some rights in Germany and stuff like that, but for the most part, it's a public domain film, so I decided instead of doing the traditional 15 Phenomenal Facts, we're just going to watch the whole film together. This is another one I don't know if many of my audience has seen before, and a lot of times with these silent films, it helps a little bit to have someone walk you through it so today we're going to be watching it of course i am no expert on the film so this is just going to be a watch along don't think of it as an official commentary and yeah we're just going to get right to the film but i want to remind you guys if you haven't already to subscribe to my channel and turn on notifications so you know when i post new videos and if you were to give this video a thumbs up and share it with a friend it would be greatly appreciated of course if you're listening to this on a podcast streaming app you're going to have to sync this up with the film but if you're following along on youtube you have the full film in front of you guys so yeah without further ado we're just going to get right to it so let's watch the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Alright, the following print of the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari with the original color tinting and toning was reconstructed by some German words that I cannot pronounce. Um, welcome, you guys, to another watch-along. Of course... We are watching The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, my personal favorite silent film ever made. Um, one of the greatest films ever, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, we're going to be watching it today because, as I said in the intro, some of these silent films, it may be hard for like a modern audience to get into it. There is our title card, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, a film in six acts, um, written by Carl Mayer and Hans Janovic. Or Jonovitz, I don't. I'm again. I'm horrible with pronunciations. Um, the version that we're watching actually has English title cards in it for the most part, mainly because I want to retain the art style of the German version directed by Robert Vinay. Um, but some of the English prints just have like static normal text, but this one at least has like the German artwork in it. And I didn't want to do the ones with like the German subtitles because then we're reading subtitles of subtitles. Um, and yeah, so we're just going to go ahead and watch the film here again. I'm by no means an expert on this film and we're going to be giving 15 phenomenal facts about cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, and yeah, as I said, we're watching what is perhaps the greatest silent film of all time. And it's my personal favorite. Um, ever since it was first released a hundred years ago, all the way back in 1920, it is absolutely absurd that we're watching something that is a hundred years old right now. Um, but yeah, since then, Caligari and his sleepwalker Caesar have been haunting audiences in this creative, creepy, and captivating cinematic classic. Um, today, of course... We're going to be looking at some of the most interesting facts about this illustrious film that maybe some of the most hardcore fans don't know. Um, and of course, there are a plethora of facts about the cabinet of Dr. Caligari out there. Um, so if I missed any out, let me know down in the comment section below. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, 15 phenomenal facts. Um, as we see, our main character here is going to be telling our story to this gentleman who is sitting by him on the bench. Um, he's talking about spirits that have driven people crazy. Um, and yeah, so I guess for our first fact, um, I just want you to see this here for a second. Um, and by the way, I'm listening to a version that 
um, has like this real weird jazz score. But this is the version that I always remember about the film. Of course, there's many different soundtracks to the film, but this is the one I most closely like associate it with. Um, and yeah, we're going to go in our facts in no particular order. I just kind of want to tell you guys all the facts and then you'll see them as we sort of go on here. Um, he says this is his fiance. Um, I guess we can say the first one since it's here. Um, this is one of the first examples of a framed story. Um, and what that means is basically, I, and it's hard because I kind of want you guys to like pay attention to the film too. So, uh, I'm trying to find a balance on when I should shut up. Um, but for number 15, it was like a pioneer of storytelling techniques. Um, and it's really crazy because most of these are commonplace in the world of cinema today. Um, but the cabinet of Dr. Caligari is actually where we got a lot of the common storytelling techniques storytelling techniques that we see all the time today um and as you see this is what's called a frame story i love this shot of the city by the way um this is also big on german expressionism which is another fact and i'll make sure i list all these facts again at the end um so you guys know clear as day what the 15 are um because on the white zombie video i didn't really do that too much um so it was more like a commentary and i want this to really drive home the 15 phenomenal facts so as we see right here, we're getting what's called a frame story. Um, it's probably most well known from Forrest Gump, where Forrest Gump is sort of telling his story to the people that come on the bench with him. And so this is very, very similar to that because our main character is telling his story to someone on a bench. Um, but it doesn't stop there. Um, it's also really innovative because it has a non-linear narrative, meaning the story isn't told in which um, the events are taking place. There's our guy Caligari right there. Um, looking very creepy. I love like the walk. Um, it's kind of scary how it's like it's all jittery and stuff. I love the tinting on the film, by the way. Um, but yeah, it's a lot non-linear narrative, and of course we see this all the times with films like Citizen Kane and Pulp Fiction and stuff like that. Um, and we'll get to this later, but the ending is also very influential. I don't want to give anything away because um, if you haven't seen the film yet, I want you to be able to enjoy the film. Um. And yeah, the other fact that I mentioned is that this was a very key component with German Expressionism. Um, it's basically the granddaddy of German Expressionism. Um, I've mentioned this time and time again in other videos as well, but it's really impossible to talk about Caligari without mentioning how the film looks. Um, it's the quintessential example of German Expressionist filmmaking. And as you see, these haunting sets are just as impressive today as they were back then. I mean, you see the window right there, uh, how it's all warped, and that's not even close to like some of the warped stuff we're going to be seeing later on in the film. Um, it really transports you into this world where there's no rules or logic, basically. Um, the buildings are going to be tilted at weird angles. We see some intense shadows um, right now, and we're going to see some more intense shadows later. It's just like all over the place. Um, I love the city. As you see, this is a, a key element of German Expressionism. And I love the title cards um, that look like this. Um, so many films would just go for like a static like text on the screen. Um, but I really love how these are like very artistic. Even the titles are German Expressionist. I mean, look at this house right here. Like, it's completely absurd. 
Um, obviously, um, people like Tim Burton have taken very big influence from this film. Um, but it's not all style and no substance in Caligari, um, which might be the case with some other films. Um, as this warped and distorted dystopia is a manifestation of the insanity of some of the characters in the film. We're going to see a lot of crazy characters coming in and out. Um, Caligari's coming down the hallway. Of course, everything is warped. As I said, it's German Expressionist. Um, it's amazing. Um, but how were they able to really achieve this so flawlessly? Um, this art style that they're going for. So for our next fact, it was completely shot indoors. Um, calling back to another one of my videos yet again, um, in my Nosferatu facts video, we know, we sort of discussed how some of the shots in the film look ridiculous because they were shot outside. If you remember Nosferatu sort of walking through the city carrying a coffin in broad daylight and it just looks completely ridiculous. Um, but Caligari doesn't have that problem ever, um, because the entire thing was shot in a studio. Um, it was filmed in a northeast suburb of Berlin, actually, in Germany. Um, this isn't one of the facts I have written down, but a lot of people see... Well, I guess I do have it written down because the film's very anti-authority, and you see um, the high-class people up on this giant chair, and Caligari's all down low and dirty and all that stuff because he's low-class and all that. And um, As we'll get into later, the film has a lot of like political... Um, influences in it um but yeah it was it was completely shot indoors um so they were able to have complete control of the lighting and the atmosphere and all that stuff um and this actually does contrast with a lot of films at the time like i mentioned nosferatu um which would usually use a combination of both studio and exteriors to shoot the score is absolutely ridiculous here but i love it so much I absolutely love the score here. <laughs> it's so good. It's so jazzy. Um, so yeah, every exterior scene is actually indoors and was created specifically for the film. Um, and yeah, although they were like able to accomplish a lot while shooting the film, there were some portions that were ultimately cut. Um, for our next fact, some scenes were actually removed due to limitations. Um, in my estimation, this is a perfect film. He's talking about his salt. He's talking about how he's a solemnist and he has a sleepwalker and all that. He's trying to get like a permit to uh, do his little show in the town. Um, but yeah, I think it's a perfect film. And while you're watching it, it's gonna it's gonna be hard to imagine that there's a few extra scenes. And a few extra elements that were ultimately cut because the crew didn't have a chance to film them. Um, whether due to time constraints, budgetary restrictions. I mean, there's different reports online. Um, we're obviously, right now, we're at the town fair and I just love the sets here. Um, the sets in this entire film are absolutely phenomenal. Um, but yeah, anyway. Um, I love the score. <laughs> I'm sorry, sometimes I just, like, zone out because I'm watching the film along with you guys. Um, and personally, I think that, like, filming some of these scenes that they wanted to film that were originally in the script, not doing them actually helps the film because there's a lot of, like, really weird stuff that was planned. Um, some of them may have helped the film. Like, there was supposed to be, like, an extensive chase scene, um, even larger than the one that we're going to see, like, towards the end of the film. 
Um, but some of the scenes, they sound pretty ridiculous. Um, like, when we're looking at this film right now, like, it's very, like, indistinguishable when the time period is. It could have taken place 100 years ago in 1920, obviously. It could have taken place 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. Like, you wouldn't know. Like, it just looks, like, very ambiguous, like, the time period. I mean, it's weird because they wanted a scene in the film where the characters are using phones. And I think that would just really take away from the mystique of the film and kind of date it, obviously. Um, yeah, so I'm really glad they didn't film the scene with the phone. I think it would have been ridiculous. Um, because I think it really takes away from, like, the fantasy setting that they spent so much time building, as I mentioned in the last fact. Um, and yeah, it helps leave the time period ambiguous instead of dating it to a time with rotary phones, because, I mean, obviously the phones are going to look very similar to the time period. Caligari's trying to get everyone's attention, waving that big old bell. Um, he's like, yo, bitch, we got fucking a sleepwalker in here. Come and step right up and see the crazy sleepwalker. Um... But yeah, it could have taken place in hundreds of years ago. Could have all been a dream in an alternate universe, anything. Um, yeah. Um, first time Caesar the Solemnist. Solemnist. I, I don't, yeah, I'm very bad at pronunciation of all words, even though I have a master's degree. Um, so basically he's going to do his little magic act, which was inspired by true events as well. Um... We're going to the next scene, end of Act 1, and the beginning of Act 2 is about to start. There it is. Um, yeah. That night, the first in a series of mysterious crimes took place. Hmm. Spooky, spooky, spooky stuff. Um, I love the window in this shot, and I love the jazz score, obviously. Um, yeah. I guess for another fact, this is often cited as the first true horror film. And again, I just love the titles here. Like, I love how they're very artistic. Um, but yeah, if we were watching, like, the German version, this would all be in German. And then at the very bottom, it would have it just in English, like, regular subtitles on top of it. Um, and I just didn't want to do that, uh, mainly because it would be way too much to read and look at. So this is a good mix of both, because it's in English, yet it has the original German art style. Um, that they were going for. Um, I love the window here. This is one of the most iconic shots in the film, in my opinion. Uh, just so much dread, so much mystery, and all of this German expressionist stuff. Um, I love it so much. Um, but yeah, it's often cited as the first true horror film. Um, as I mentioned, the film came out a hundred years ago. Like, can you imagine that a hundred years ago, in 1920, this film came out? around the birth of feature films in general. Um, as such, Caligari holds the title of being the first feature horror film. Um, of course, there were a few short films before this, and some other features had some horror elements in them. Um, but Caligari was really the first that put everything together. Um, the first film that really put everything... Um, basically, the way that we know horror films are today... Um, Caligari is what started it. Um, some other short films that were before this, I mean, there was Thomas Edison's Frankenstein, um, but that was, like, more of a sci-fi. I mean, again, it had some horror elements in it, but in either way, that wasn't a feature film, so that doesn't count. The film was only, like, 15 minutes long, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's where all the elements came together. It was made before the word horror, 
was even a designated genre. But after Caligari, we would see more and more horror films begin to pop up, like Nosferatu and stuff like that. Um, but how did a film that essentially pioneered an entire genre of film, horror films, and German Expressionist films, like, how did this sort of all come to be? Um, well, surprisingly enough, for our next fact, it was done by first-time writers. Um, it's hard to believe that such a phenomenal film was actually written by two people who had no experience writing before at all. Um, it was penned, obviously, as we saw in the opening, by Hans Janowicz and Karl Mayer, um, who were both veterans in World War I, and they were actually dead broke at the time, because um, no one gives a shit about veterans back then or today. Um, and yeah, they were dead broke. Um, they were introduced by some mutual friends of theirs who were actors. Um, they were both friends with actors independently, and then the actors brought these two together and was like, yo, you guys should write a film together and make some cash. So that's what they did. They wrote the script. It took about six weeks. Caligari's like, come on in and see, see my sleepwalker right now. Um, it took them six weeks, and although neither of them had any experience in the film industry, they were able to construct a complex, thought-provoking narrative that the world of cinema hadn't even dreamt of achieving at the time. Um, but again, how did they get inspiration? The cabinet of Dr. Caligari. That's where it is. And then he's about to open the curtain, and there he is. Um, he's about to give his spiel. He still has his bell. Um... Sorry, I'm just getting a little engrossed in the film here. Um, I'm trying to get through my facts, but... And of course the music is getting quiet right now too, so now you're sitting in silence basically. So I guess I'll just talk... I guess I'll just talk. Um, they, they drew inspiration from their own lives. I mean, I mentioned it's very anti-authority, and I mentioned that they were veterans. We're about to get our first reveal of Caesar. Um, he's about to come out of like this cabinet. The cabinet of Dr. Caligari. There's the cabinet right there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've heard so many, like, bad stories from people who were, like, in the armed forces today, um, like, my friend Megan and my friend Dan, where basically the military fucked them over completely once they were out, um, and it, I mean, it was happening even back then, um, there he is, um, so yeah, I'm, no one gives a shit about veterans, and they always screw you over, no matter what, um, <laughs> I love everything about this right now. Caesar, can you hear me? Caesar, I'm calling you. I, Dr. Caligari, your master. Awaken for a moment. Scroll, 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 scroll. From your... Dark Knight. Part of the thing that adds a lot of the runtimes to these is it doesn't take us that long to read these days and the title cards are just up there forever. Um, but yeah, it's hard to imagine, and he's about to open his eyes, I love fucking Caligari, bro. Open your eyes, like the fucking gold member song, gold finger song. Um, I got him mixed up, he's twitching the lips. Come on, bro, open your eyes, he's flaring his nostrils. Um, come on, dude. We want to see you open those eyes, there they go. He's a sleepy boy. Imagine if you woke up. From a fucking nap, and there was a bunch of people staring at you. I'd probably have a similar reaction to this. Um, he's about to come out. This is just so creepy. 
Um, the imagery in this film is just iconic. I mean, of course, you guys have seen my shirt with um, Caesar on it, my Bauhaus shirt, or Bauhaus, or however you say it. I'm really bad at pronouncing German, um, but that band is fucking great. Of course, Bela Lugosi's dead. Um, Kick in the eye, just every that band's awesome. If you haven't listened to that band, um, the Pioneers of Goth. Um, but that's a video for a different day. We're talking about Caesar, the pioneer of horror films and German expressionism and just everything. Um, but yeah, looking at it, it's hard that you'd think that they'd get inspiration from their own lives. But they did. As I said, they were both war vets, so they're very, very anti-authority. As we mentioned, the chair thing with Kaligari earlier, how it's very, very anti-establishment. Um, because they were both pacifists at the time, and they were very embittered with the military, uh, as am I. In fact, the character of Caligari was actually based on a military psychiatrist that Mare would be examined by quite extensively, um, only furthering the dis distrust of those in power. Um, the character Jane in Caligari, who we saw at the very beginning of the film, who we said is his fiance. Um, was inspired by their actress mutual friend who introduced them, Gilda Langer, who was the primary person who convinced them that they need to write a story together. Um, and Gilda inspired much more than just the character, um, because spookily enough, after visiting a fortune teller with Hans, she was told that she was going to die. <laughs> um, which sucks to say, because unfortunately she did die, um, shortly after, in 1920, in fact, um, unexpectedly, and she was only 23 at the time, um, and this tragic event inspired the scene where Caesar predicts the death of the character Alan at the fair, which is actually about to happen momentarily, or it may have just happened because I was looking down at my notes and wasn't really paying attention, but basically, oh yeah, it's right here, so how long will I live, and he says, like, you won't make it through the night, or whatever, or he's like, you only have a few hours left. I can't remember the exact quote, but we'll see it here momentarily. Um, but yeah, they got this scene from a fortune teller till the break of dawn. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what inspired this scene. I don't know if her death, I don't think her death inspired this scene. But them going to the fortune teller predicting the death is what inspired this scene. Um, and yeah, also, like, they would go to, like, I don't know if it's a circus or, like, what the, uh... I love this shot, too, where the guy's about to come in and light the lantern. Here he comes with this torch. Beautiful. Um, I love that shot. Um... But yeah, it not only was it based on real life, it was also based on myths and legends that have been passed down from generation to generation. Um, we mentioned this last year in my Top 10 Silent Films video, um, but The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is also based on an old 11th century myth. Um, and the legend goes that back during medieval times, there was a mountebank monk, whatever that means, who had a strange sort of control over a man who was in his keep, um, similar to Caligari and Caesar in the film. Um, he had a strange influence over this man and forced him to go about his bidding. 
Um, this was an influence in and of itself, but our two writers actually had the opportunity to see this sort of thing, as I mentioned, at like a sort of circus sideshow in Berlin. Um, it was called The Man or Machine, where a man was able to perform like these great feats of strength after he became hypnotized. Um, so this mystic monk and hypnotism scenarios greatly influenced the story. Um, there's Caligari's house, which is all warped. Um, I love the way his house is designed. Um, I wish I lived there. It looks pretty cozy, if you ask me. Um, it's like a little trailer, basically. Um, but yeah, the monk and the hypnotism, um, really influenced the story here. Um, and once they had the script finalized, it was time for them to find their direct director. Um, sorry, I'm stumbling over my words already, guys. Um, the job ultimately went to Robert Vinay, who made his own contributions to the story. So for our next fact is Robert Vinay's story suggestion. Um, if you've seen the film before, it's hard to imagine the story without the iconic opening portion, which we saw, and the closing portion, which we're going to see at the end of the film, obviously. Um, by the way, I think the tinting really works in this film, uh, making it more recognizable when it's daytime and when it's nighttime. Um, again, in some films at the time where if you're just watching the plain, like, black and white version, it can be hard to tell at times. Um, but yeah, it's hard to imagine the story without the opening and closing. Um, and it's surprising that these were all actually added to the story once Robert Vinay, the director, came on board. Um, it's speculated that those segments were added to the film to make it a little bit more commercially viable. Um, and to sort of deflect some of the heat the film may have gotten at the, th at the time um, by betraying authority in such a negative light, as we've mentioned. Now it's nighttime, so we know that our boy Alan is in for some trouble, trouble, trouble. Um, yeah, so he added those to sort of deflect some of the heat, and this guy's about to be getting the business right here. Up oh, there's the hand shot, which has been mentioned many, many times, like in the Cinemassacre video. Um, I love the shadow on the wall. Fun fact, we wanted a shot like this and Unlucky with, like, the shadow on the wall. Um, but we weren't able to do it, and now it's the end of Act 2, and we're about to get into Act 3. There it is, boy, Act 3. Um, and there's our city. Now it's daytime, as we can tell by the tinting. It's like sunlight. Um, but yeah, again, a lot of viewers think that without these opening and closing segments and how everything comes together is what really makes the film so great and revolutionary for the time um, as we mentioned, that this is called a frame story, and it's the earliest example of it. Um, again, I mentioned we see it in Forrest Gump and stuff, but this was the earliest example of the frame story. Brought to us by Robert Vinay, my guy. Um, Mr. Allen is dead. Murdered. <sighs> Damn, what a bummer. Imagine you wake up your best friend's fucking dead after a hypnotist. I mean, not a hypnotist, after this weird fucking creepy... Sleepwalker guy says the day before that he's gonna die and you think it's all in good fun, but it's not in good fun. It actually happens um Yeah Sucks scary stuff Um, but yeah, it's weird because Robert Vinay did a lot for the film Um, obviously it's his unique vision. He was the director. He Gave a lot of his input on, like, the storytelling and the artistic style. Again, we mentioned it's German Expressionist and all that, obviously. Um, but 
the film really looks like we're in an alternate universe. And maybe in an alternate universe, Robert Vinay didn't direct the film because directing duties almost went to Fritz Lang. Um, if you know who Fritz Lang is, it's interesting. If you don't know who Fritz Lang is, you should because he was one of the biggest masterminds of cinema back then. Um, he was actually behind one of a, one of the other most influential films of all time, Metropolis. Um, I don't consider Metropolis a horror film. Otherwise, it would have made my top 10 silent horror films. Um, it's like a sci-fi, but it has some horror elements, but I don't consider it a horror film throughout. Um, and yeah, it's a big classic. It is one of the most classic films ever, but he could have had two classic films under his belt. I love The Stairs. He could have had two revolutionary classic cinema under his belt. Again, high class with the big chairs. Um, because he was offered the role of director for Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. However, instead of taking the Caligari gig, he decided to opt out and work on a film called The Spiders. Episode 1, The Golden Sea. Yeah, Seems like the right choice. The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari on one hand, and The Spiders Episode 1, The Golden Sea. Has anyone heard of that film? Has anyone seen that film? Does anyone give a shit about that film? There are actually two of them. Did you know that? They followed it up with The Spiders Episode 2. But is anyone watching that today? No. Are we watching The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari today? Yes. Yes, we are. And I'm very happy that we are. Because this film's awesome. Are you enjoying the film? I hope you're enjoying the film. I hope this video doesn't get taken down. I hope the German censors don't come for this film and be like, Hey, we still have a few rights to this film until 2026. In which case, in 2027, I will be re-uploading this. Um, but we should be good. <laughs> I mean, a million people have uploaded this film to YouTube already. So, why not add my contribution to that um but yeah seems like the right choice directing the spiders episode one the golden sea instead of this phenomenal film which pioneered everything everything we know about horror basically comes from this the best you'd have to consider this one of the best horror films of all time even if you don't like it even if you've never seen it you just gotta know you gotta know It'd be blasphemous to think otherwise. Look at this. This guy's chilling at the stairs, rubbing his eyes. Horror history was made. He's walking away like a mile per hour. This wall is going to come back later. We see this wall now, but it's a little foreshadowing. We may see it later. It'll be a lot creepier when we see it again. And as we see by like the greenish tint, um, it's nighttime again. Um, but yeah. Fritz Lang did alright for himself in spite of the fact that he didn't um, direct this, by the way, because obviously Metropolis is a classic, one of the greatest silent films ever made, one of the greatest films ever made, certainly one of the best sci-fis. Um, there's the fiancé character, who was inspired by Gilda Langer, as we mentioned. Um, it's just really hard to imagine Caligari without Robert Vinay's vision, man. I mean, look at this shit. Listen to this shit. Robert Vina had nothing to do with this jazz score, I'll tell you that. 
But listen to it. It just goes together. I like it. Some people think it's ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous. Doesn't mean it doesn't go together. Look how romantic this is. Creepily, hauntingly romantic. The kind of songs goth bands will sing about. You're telling me typo negative? Like, if you listen to typo negative, like a slow instrumental, you don't see this in the background? We're just chilling. I'm watching the film. You're watching the film. We're chilling. I hope you guys are enjoying this. If you guys like this video, make sure you subscribe to the channel, turn on notifications, so you know when I post new videos. Which public domain horror films do you want to see me do a commentary of next? If you let me know down in the comments, I will hopefully do it for you one day. I mean, I have very limited options. Um, this guy's gonna obtain police authorization to examine the Solomonist because his friend's dead. And they're like, yo, this fucking guy said my friend was gonna die, now my friend's dead. They had to have done it. They had to have known something about it. They gotta. God damn, this film is awesome. <sighs> but yeah, Robert Vinay created something really unique, totally original, and a hundred years later, it's still nothing short of extraordinary in my eyes, in the eyes of anyone who's seen it. I don't know anyone who dislikes this film. If you dislike this film, you just don't like silent films, and that's alright. I mean, Jesus, I mean, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but... By God. If you're a fan of horror and you haven't watched this film... I mean, you're watching it right now. But if you know anyone who hasn't seen this film, you gotta tell them to go watch it. Now they're chasing... There's a chase. But there would have been a more extensive chase. As I mentioned in an earlier fact. Um, and yeah, as I said, like this film is highly regarded as one of the greatest horror films of all time. But at the time, wasn't appreciated. Just like our boy Caligari here fucking cooking some soup or whatever the fuck he's doing. Um, wasn't appreciated. Wasn't a hit. Especially in America. Open up there. There's the boy. Sit that boy up. Where does he go? Puts his hand on the shoulders. Lifts him up. Um, yeah, it wasn't a hit for our next fact. And how many have we done so far? I think we've done 10, so I think there's only five left. Um, it was originally met with booze. Um, as was the case in the film we discussed a few weeks ago, Carnival of Souls. If you haven't seen that 15 Phenomenal Facts, go check it out. Um, the cabinet of Dr. Gallagher was not an immediate success. In fact, it was so disliked that it was booed out of the Unor Capital Cinema. And guests actually asked for their money back. It's crazy to think a film as revolutionary as this that we're still talking about a hundred years later. People were fucking booing at it. People have no taste. Just like if you don't like this film today, you have no taste. And you're entitled to have no taste. It is your own opinion to have no taste. But you have no taste. I'm not even bar I'm barely even watching this film because I'm talking and fucking reading my notes here and I know it's great every time I look up at the screen it's incredible every time they're like look my fucking sleepwalker's still here he's not doing shit dog I didn't kill no one my sleepwalker doesn't know anything um yeah at the time we mentioned that horror was not a genre 
horror was not a thing. And audiences at the time, they weren't into it. Audiences back then, they would have rather seen, I don't know, a comedy, seen a romance. I mean, this is a fucked up romance. Um, and this is a fucked up dark comedy, you could say. Um, but it's certainly not your traditional romance. It's not your traditional comedy. So audiences weren't into it. I mean, I think Robert Rudolph Valentino was big at the time. They probably wanted to see something with him. Probably wanted to see um, a comedy group like Charlie Chaplin or something. I think he was probably doing stuff in 1920. I don't know. Someone was. Because there were comedies. People were watching comedies. They're checking out fucking Caesar there. He's not doing shit. Of course, that's the Sleepwalker Caesar, not King Caesar from Godzilla, the giant lion god. Or a Caesar salad, the King Caesar salad, Julius Caesar. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about right now, guys. This is completely off the rails. This is completely off the rails. I don't care. This is what? Like the 23rd episode I've posted this month? 24th? I don't know what day of the week this comes out. It comes out on Friday, but I'm not paying attention to the calendar. I'm going to go look. So yeah, this will be the 23rd. This will be the 23rd video I put out. I don't give a shit if this is off the rails, bro. How many videos have I given you this month already? 22? I'm going to give you 31. I don't care if a couple of them are off the rails. I've posted off the rail episodes before. My Simpsons video that I put out earlier this week was off the rails. One of my favorite thumbnails, one of my least favorite episodes. Really bummed that the episode got delayed because fucking sports postponed the Treehouse of Horror to after fucking Halloween. But that's fine. I don't give a shit. Do you give a shit? I give a shit. I'm fucking pissed. I don't care. I'm originally met with booze, as I said. Just like I'm booing fucking sports for end of act three. <laughs> I'm booing the fucking spo sports for delaying the fucking Treehouse of Horror. If it was basketball, I wouldn't care that much. But basketball's over. I love fucking basketball. You know what I don't love? The fucking baseball and football games. If it was fucking LeBron James fucking postponing Treehouse of Horror, I can let that slide. I can't let sports that I don't really care about let, um, make that happen. I don't like that shit. <sighs> but anyway... This fucked up romance and fucked up horror film, dark comedy, everything, everything about this creepy piece of shit, even though it's not a piece of shit, I fucking love it, it's incredible. Um, I can't believe I just called it a piece of shit, I didn't mean to do that. It's awesome, I love this film, everything about it, I'm not gonna cut that out because I'm not cutting anything out of this. What you see is what you get. But, after the initial jeers, and after the bitter taste was left in their mouths, it was quickly withdrawn from all the cinemas that were playing it. This forced the team who were behind marketing this film to come up with a completely new promotional campaign. And when it returned to theaters again, it was much more of a success as it should have been the first time. So much so that it really left all the American filmmakers nervous as fuck. They were quite nervous. Um... To throw suspicion on the mysterious murderer. Yeah, it made them nervous as fuck. For our next fact, the film was actually protested. 
across America, but specifically in L.A. Um, so once everyone sort of realized that this film was a masterpiece and it gained such a significant amount of success, Caligari was actually protested in Los Angeles out of fear. Obviously, LA, LA being the cornerstone of American cinema that it is now and back then, maybe not so much today, people would argue Atlanta or something like that, but still LA is what's most commonly associated with filmmaking. Um, and the American filmmakers there feared unemployment would be looming in the near future by having German films playing in the U.S., especially good ones. Um, yeah, especially ones of this quality, man. American films probably sucked ass at the time. I don't know. I haven't seen all of them. So if it's a horror film, I've probably seen it. If it's something else, hell no. Imagine watching a fucking drama, a silent dry-ass drama. I mean, I'm sure there's people that like that. That's fine if you like that. I don't, can't imagine he's about to do this classic pose that you've probably seen a million times. <laughs> Look how creepy this guy is. Here he is. He's about to do... He's doing the pose right now. There he goes. Come on in here. Like the creepy painting that's been in Strong Mad's closet. The creepy painting that's been in Strong Mad's cousin closet since we were little. Come on in here. It's a deep Homestar Runner reference for you guys. Maybe someday I should review all the Homestar Runner Halloween specials. That'd be fun. If you don't know about Homestar Runner, it was one of the first web series I ever got into. I should talk about some of the web series that got me into YouTube and the internet and stuff. Homestar Runner was pre-YouTube. Um... I was watching that shit like fifth grade. There's the Solemnist, Sleepy Boy Caesar. Caesar the Sleepy Boy. Just like, I don't mean to compare this to Godzilla again, but Caesar in Godzilla was also a Sleepy Boy. They had to wake him up with a song, which goes on way too long. Um, but we're not talking about Godzilla today. I'd love to do an episode about Godzilla at some point. But, as we said, you can't have German films playing in the U.S. and it's good. You're going to take away our jobs. In fact, as I said, it didn't stop in L.A. because word caught on to regular civilians all across America and they began boycotting the film throughout the United States. Thankfully, the protest didn't last too long. And by 1927, it was shown again across the states to great success. And it continued to have success even to this day after the funeral. Um, for number three, it's still pretty big today. Um, it's just as big today as it ever was in some circles. Um, especially horror fans, film, uh, historians and stuff. I mean, it's still very, very highly regarded. Um, it's hard to imagine that something that premiered literally a hundred years ago would still be talked about and discussed today besides crazy people like me. Um, but Caligari has truly stood the test of time, man. And it's well-received by audiences and critics who've still revisited it to this day. Um, yeah. It is one of the few films on Rotten Tomatoes to be reviewed as 100% fresh. Um, which is really respectable. Um, same with its 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb. Very hard to do. Um, it's featured on Roger Ebert's Great Movies list. 
and it's featured in pretty much every one of those 1,000 movies you need to see before you die books. Um, at least every one that I've seen. And also every one that I've seen has The Shining on the cover. Um, at least the ones I have. Um, different stills from The Shining, but still both of The Shining. Um, this year in particular, I feel like it's had a bit of a resurgence, in fact due to it being 100 years old. I mean, it's definitely a film everyone needs to check out, and if you haven't seen the film without my commentary, I suggest you go watch it some other time as well. This is another iconic scene. As I said that this was going to come back, the wall's going to be creepy. This is another creepy shot, one of the most iconic shots in the film. Um, but yeah, if you haven't seen it without my commentary, one night, um, put it on late at night, put the score... Um, I don't want to say super low, but low enough where it's not going to keep you awake and just sort of drift in and out of sleep watching this film. It's quite the experience. Um, it's truly the stuff of nightmares. At times you're not going to know if you're asleep or you're awake because um, the imagery is literally stripped right out of my nightmares. I don't know about you guys. This is such a creepy scene where he's just walking and then he goes up against that wall like we saw. He's tearing open the window. Um, and now he's about to walk into this room. Slow as fuck. And he just looks creepy as hell. With his long ass legs. Um, Nosferatu has a scene similar to this. Where Nosferatu goes in the bedroom and stuff. Um, but it's not entirely the same. Um, but yeah. And you've. Even if this is your first time watching this film. You've probably seen images from it. Um, besides here, um, and you felt its influence in tons of horror films in which it inspired over the years. He's raising the knife. He's going to kill her. He's going to kill her. Or is he? Or is he going to fall in love? I think he's going to fall in love. Look how unsettling this is. Wait till we get to the fucking close-up shot where he's just, like, fucking shaking her. Look at that. There's a fucking jump scare in the 20s. This shot, so fucking cringy, bro. If that's not one of the scariest things you've ever seen in your fucking life, I don't know what's going on. Good lord, is this creepy. Um, but yeah, as we just saw, he fell in love with her, and this is actually good timing to talk about how this has influenced many, many, many films in the decades since. Um, it's easy to see its influence in many facets of the horror genre, and rightfully so. Um, first of all, as we saw earlier, our Sleepwalker Caesar builds up a body count. So you could technically call this a precursor to the slasher genre, if you wanted to. He's obviously no Michael Myers with his kill count. But, nonetheless... And the music's probably getting pretty loud here. Um, so I hope you can still hear me. I'll make sure... The audio levels are fine here. I hope they are. If not, I'll just turn the music down. Another classic shot of the fucking rooftop. We're standing on the rooftops, standing on the rooftops. Um, but yeah, as you see, it wasn't only a precursor to the slasher genre, but it also popularized the famous cliche of the monster following, falling in love with our leading lady here. Um, and specifically carrying her away. Um, is it possible to even start naming all the films where this happens? 
Um, but I mean, you've got King Kong, you've got the creature from the Black Lagoon, you've got the Mummy films with Karis. Um, so many great films. I um, mean, we've got a chase scene here. Um, and Caesar is about to meet his end, maybe. We don't know what's going on with Caesar. Um, but they're chasing him. Um, it also goes without saying the art style, as we see here, is very influential. Not only on German cinema, but, but American cinema as well. Even as early as some of the Universal films, and now he's about to fucking fall over, like I said. About to meet his doom. Um, but even in films today, even not in the silent era, and not in the early Universal films and stuff, as we mentioned, we see it in the work of Tim Burton. Um, probably most profoundly in films like Edward Scissorhands and The Nightmare Before Christmas, which Tim Burton produced, he didn't direct, but still his influence is all over the place. I mean, it's called Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, I think. Um, hell, Edward Scissorhands himself, the character, even bears a striking resemblance to Caesar. Um, and it can be interpreted that in many ways they share the same character traits, very, very similar character traits. Um, Caesar. And for my last fact, I think, I think I went through all of them. Um, not only is this influence seen as we see with many, many things, I think I said that like, um, and I got this from the Cinemassacre um, video that he produced earlier this year. I didn't even know this. The hand shot where like Alan is dying, uh, System of a Down used that for their album cover. Um, and I've seen the album cover a hundred times, but I never put two and two together that that was from Caligari. Um, but yeah, there's its influence has been seen all over, and it actually has a very obscure sequel and several remakes of the film. Um, but an official sequel slash remake to Caligari was something that was in the works for many, many years by the original filmmakers even. Um, Robert Vianney purchased the complete rights to Caligari in the early 1930s and fully intended to do a sound remake of the film, which was actually pretty common at the time um, to redo your silent films with sound once the technology was introduced. Um, we saw Todd Browning do this um, with like London After Midnight, which turned into Mark of the Vampire. Um, the Cat in the Canary is famous for this as well. Um, and some other films. I mean, there's a lot of films that were originally silent films, and then when sound came out, they remade the films in sound. It was typically the same teams that were doing this. Um, but yeah, nothing ever came of Robert Vinay's sequel-slash-remake, um, and he passed away in 1938, unfortunately. Um, but in the 1940s, a sequel was written called The Return of Caligari, which would have reinterpreted, um, reinterpreted Caligari as sort of a Nazi officer, but the film was never produced. Um, in 1962, a remake was released simply titled The Cabinet of Caligari, not Dr. Caligari. He didn't uh, finish med school in that one. But it doesn't share many similarities with the original film except for the ending. Um, then in the 80s, we got like a sort of quasi-sequel, even more simply titled just Dr. Caligari, which was an avant-garde erotic horror film. Um, which understandably, since it was an erotic film, had very, very little to do with the original. Um, in 1992, the year I was born, 
we were gifted The Cabinet of Dr. Ramirez, which was an experimental film starring Joan, C- starring Joan Cusack. Sorry, I stumbled. Sorry, I stumbled while saying sorry, I stumbled. I stumbled twice. It's pretty meta. Um, but yeah, it stars Joan Cusack, amongst others. And it also, the f- it also followed the story pretty loosely. And they're about to look in the window here and see um, Caesar laying in the bed. But they're like, uh, we just saw that fucking guy die in the street. What are you talking about? They're about to go inside and I think it's in this scene. They go inside and they see it's a fucking dummy this whole time. And they've been bamboozled. By Mr. Caligari here. Dr. Caligari, I'm sorry. I mean, you did go to med school. Sorry, I called you Mr. instead of doctor. Um. He's wearing Mickey Mouse gloves. This film's older than Mickey Mouse. You guys thought about that? Mickey Mouse is 90 years old right now. Or 91. 92, even. I don't know how fucking old Mickey Mouse is. Came out in 28, I believe. But I think his birthday's in November, so he's still 91 at this time. Yep, there's a dummy. It's just a fucking mannequin. I wonder if Dr. Caligari's first name is Jack, and that's Jack's mannequin. Look at these fucking sets, dude. So absurd. I would love to make a German expressionist film. Um, Donate to my fucking Patreon, Kickstarter, GoFundMe, whatever the fuck. Let me build sets like this. Well, I won't build them myself. I'll be the director. Someone else will build them. Midnight Miles will do the effects and build the sets for me. Look at that chase. Look, he's fucking waddling down the road. Um, but where was I? Yeah, so Cabinet of Dr. Ramirez in the 90s. Um, it follows the story loosely, and it's completely through music. Um, similar to this, how this is completely through music, because obviously it's a silent film. Ooh, he followed him back to an insane asylum. Spooky, spooky stuff, dog. Um, but most interestingly, however, this is another thing I found out through Cinemassacre um, a while ago because James actually had it on um, DVD or whatever. In 2005, there was an independent remake of the film in which new actors were green-screened onto the backgrounds of the original film, of this film. The actors were green screened in on the background. So like, for example, like when we're about to see this shot, once the title card's gone like that, like it would literally be this background, but they'd have the modern actors on top of it. Um, this version starred Doug Jones as Caesar, who is the modern day man of a thousand faces. Of course, back in the day, we had another man of a thousand faces in all kinds of silent films. You know who that is, Mr. Lon Chaney. Um, but Doug Jones, he's sort of the man of a thousand faces today, besides Gary Oldman. Um, lots of creature stuff. I mean, Doug Jones, you know him as the fawn and the pale man from Pan's Labyrinth. Um, he was the amphibian man from The Shape of Water. He gets some action in that film. (laughs) Uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon was not as lucky as The Shape of Water. Ooh, I just, that is, that's an interesting fact. He plays Caesar, who falls in love with the leading lady, and he also plays the creature from the Black Lagoon, essentially, who falls in love with the leading lady, which was also inspired by this, and he also played Caesar. This is a fucking mindfuck, just like this movie. Just like how we see fucking Caligari as the director of the Insane Asylum. 
That's quite the mind fuck. Again, as I said, it's hard to imagine the film without the opening and closing portions. Um, shout out Robert Vinay for his ideas for the twists and turns in the story. Actually, this may have been from the director, or even Fritz Lang had some ideas that he contributed. Um, but either way, without these twists, um, and also I mentioned, I didn't mention this, but in the story and telly techniques fact, this was also one of the first films with a twist ending. As we see in like The Sixth Sense and all kinds of films out there. Um, but yeah, Doug Jones played it in the version where they're literally green screened on the background of it. I still want to see it. I haven't seen it. I need to get my hands on it and just see what it's like. I'm pretty sure it's a sound film. Um, I don't think that they did it silently. I think they did sound, so I might have to go watch that. And of course, there have been many stage versions of Caligari. There have been many audio versions of Caligari, like radio drama versions and stuff like that. But in the past 100 years, the original is still the quintessential version. It's still the best, and it will still continue to haunt audiences for the next 100 years and well beyond. And those are my 15 phenomenal facts. We've still got, like, 20 minutes left of the film. But, hmm, yeah, like 20 minutes left of the film. But the 15 phenomenal facts are over. Did you notice that with the tinting just then? It was dark. Then he flipped the light on, and the tinting changed. Incredible stuff. I like the skeleton hanging on the wall, by the way. But just to recap our facts... Uh, sorry I burped not editing it out it happens but just to recap our facts um number 15 it's often cited as the first true horror film number 14 was written by first time writers for number 13 they drew inspiration from their own lives for number 12 it was loosely based on myths and legends so many inspirations Fact number 11, Robert Vinay brought a lot of story suggestions to the story, such as making it a frame story. Going right along with that, number 10, it pioneered storytelling techniques, like the frame story like we mentioned, like the twist ending, like having it in a non-linear narrative like Pulp Fiction or Citizen Kane, um, which we'll see some of in a little bit, where it's going to do some flashbacks in the year 1783. Um... And again, I guess that sort of dates the time period as well. But who knows? I mean, they could have changed that to 783. It could have been any year. I mean, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. Of course, this is all recreated in English as well, just like the title cards. Um, for number nine, it's the granddaddy of German expressionism. For number eight, it's completely shot indoors, complete control over the lighting, spooky atmosphere, all of that. For number seven, although they accomplished a lot while shooting, some scenes were removed due to limitations either with the script or the budget, um, like the ridiculous phone scene. Number six, the directing almost went to Fritz Lang. That's how it would have originally been, had things gone according to the original plan. Fortunately, they did not. Um, number five, originally met with booze. Number four, it was protested. The booze persisted and turned into protests. For number three, it's just as big today as it ever was. For number two, it influenced many films 
in the decades since it came out. And number one, it has a very obscure sequels, very obscure remakes, very obscure. And yeah, those are my 15 phenomenal facts about the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. We've still got some of the film to finish. So for the next 16 minutes or so, I'm just going to be riffing and watching the film along with you guys. Um, I love this film, man. I hope you've been enjoying my um, commentary of it or my watch along. Again, I'm not an expert. I did research on the film. I'm not an expert. Of course, I researched through some of the books that I have, like the thousand films you need to see before you die book had some research involved um research through cinemassacre of course i love cinemassacre you guys know that you should know that you should go watch cinemassacre not that i need to plug them they have three million or so more subscribers than me there's no reason for me to plug them but i will go check them out they should have a lot more subscribers than that and yeah, just did my research the classic way. I mean, reading up on it online, reading articles and all that kind of stuff. So Caligari's doing some bullshit right now. Things are about to get revealed. I mean, you're about to see the actual twist ending on what's going on if you haven't pieced it together already on what actually went on or did it. Could all have been a dream, all been a nightmare. We don't know. You don't know. I don't know. Who knows? He's about to recall his story as we see it's a non-linear narrative it's told through flashbacks it's told through dreams it's told through everything he's tearing his fucking book apart you're tearing me apart Caesar see they were reading that all in the fucking journals so that's told out of order that was probably confusing to audiences at the time he's having a fucking nightmare right now it's going back into the journal um but yeah, as I said at the very beginning, I actually filmed a real version of this, like a fucking version of this, like my cat, uh, Carnival of Souls video. But realistically, it's more fun to, for me to just sit here and watch this. And if it's more fun for me, that's what's really important. I hope it's fun for you too. Um, because quite honestly, I was not having fun editing the video. Um... I'm gonna have to do a behind the screams this year and just talk about the behind the scenes of some of these videos um, and why I made the decisions that I did. Um, but frankly, if I would have done this a real 15 phenomenal facts, it would not have been out in time. An obsession. And this will be fun to do with some other um, films. Maybe not do them 15 phenomenal facts, even though. The 15 Phenomenal Facts commentary thing works out well because you're giving some good information about the film out there. Um, but maybe do some public domain films that I haven't seen before and get my genuine reactions to them. That'd be interesting. Um, but I'd have to figure out ways to talk during them. And I like doing this with silent films because... Well, this is my first time doing one, but I enjoy doing this. I feel like with the White Zombie one, it was a little harder to keep track of stuff going on because they were talking, I was talking... Um, but this one is primarily visual. <laughs> so dramatic. Um, I like this part coming up. He's about to walk into the thing and he's gonna see Caligari, Caligari, like the words fucking going all over. It's very artistic, 
Probably the first time that's been done in a film. Um, one of the only times, I don't know. Can you name films where the guy's being insane and he sees his fucking name over and over again in the sky? It's about to happen. I know you don't know what I'm talking about if you haven't seen it yet. <clears throat> but if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you see some words on the screen, but it's literally about to be popping up Caligari, 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 Caligari over and over and over again. <clears throat> this film's so great. There it is, Caligari. And it's gonna keep coming, Caligari, Caligari, Caligari. He's going insane, brother. Or maybe they just want you to think he's going insane, because if you remember, at the very beginning of this, we established this is a frame story. This is all told through the guy's perspective that's telling the story. We just made it through our fifth act, and we're going into the sixth. And as I mentioned, it's all told through our main character, Francis's perspective when he's on that bench talking to the guy. We're about to see where that bench is and what all of this represents in a second. But just keep that in mind. Everything we see is through someone else's perspective. As with any story with a narrator, really, like, who knows? I mean, the facts in Forrest Gump, like, that could have not happened at all. Like, Forrest Gump could have just made all that shit up. Any film with a narrator could have just made all that bullshit up. Unlucky has a narrator. He could have just made all that bullshit up. I guess he did make it all up because it was in the ether. He manifested the entire story. But any film with a narrator, fucking the Shawshank Redemption... Fucking Morgan Freeman's character, Red, could have made all that bullshit up. You would never know. Um, people do actually speculate that he did make up part of that story. Like, at the end, he, like, fabricated his own fucking false memories of it. And he actually fucking died or some shit. Um, actually committed suicide like he wanted to until he saw um, the name written on the ceiling there. Um, but some people say that Red made up that entire ending. But we're completely fucking off track. Um, there's only 10 minutes of the film left, but I'm talking about the Shawshank Redemption, but I guess it relates because as I said, um, when it's told through a narrator, you don't know if it really happened or it's just what the narrator wants you to know. I hope, again, I hope you guys have enjoyed this commentary. I hope you're still along with me for the ride. If you're along with me for the ride, let me know what your favorite silent film is down in the comments. If you like silent films, maybe you like Nosferatu, maybe you like The Phantom Carriage, maybe you like The Phantom of the Opera. There's Caligari, maybe you like Caligari, maybe you like this fucking guy. This was my favorite silent film. Mr. Director, unmask yourself, you are Dr. Caligari. He's like, no shit, look at me, bro. But... He's about to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Who's Caligari? What do you mean? <laughs> He's like, what is this? <sighs> this is such a good film, guys. But yeah, let me know what your favorite silent film is. It doesn't even have to be like a classic silent film. It could be a silent film made... Um, it could be the remake of Dr. Caligari, the cabinet of Dr. Ramirez or whatever I said it was. Um, I don't have my notes in front of me. I think it was Dr. Ramirez. That's a silent film, I believe. It was all told through music. Um, what's your favorite silent film? Let me know. 
What's a silent film that you don't think that I've seen that I could check out? What's a public domain film that you'd like to see a commentary of? Because public domain films, I can upload them to YouTube. I mean, I guess I could just upload just the audio and you could sync it up with the film, but it's just a lot easier to do it just like this. Um, and then you see the film and you see my audio at the same time. That way it eliminates the step of you having to uh, sync me up. But I guess that way, I mean, you can control the volume levels at your leisure if you're sick of hearing me fucking talking. You can turn up the movie and vice versa. If you don't like the movie, you can turn me up. They're putting Caligari in the straitjacket, brother. They're like, this dude is off his fucking rocker. Or maybe not. Maybe not, maybe so. Who knows, I know. Do you know? Have you seen the film before? You might know. I know. Maybe all this was a dream. But... We're about to see what's going on here. That's a fucking creepy shot too, fucking Caligari squirming around. Caligari kind of looks like the dude from American Movie who is in Mark Borchardt's film. I forget his name, but the guy in Creeps, the radio drama, who's like, No! That guy. If you've seen American Movie or have any fucking idea what I'm talking about, you probably don't, but he, Caligari kind of looks like that guy. If I was remaking Caligari in the 2000s, I would have casted the guy from American Movie as that. And as we see, our frame story has come to a close. He is wrapping up his story that he's telling to his friend on our bench, our dude Francis. But where the fuck is this bench? Why is any of this important? And why have I been alluding to the fact that none of this could be real? And I also mentioned that the story is not all style and no substance because it shows the insanity of our characters. Ladies and gentlemen, this bench is inside the very same insane asylum. Francis is a patient at this insane asylum. Caligari may or may not even be real. Look, this is where the fair took place, but this is inside the insane asylum. There's his girlfriend, Jane, supposedly. There's a guy right there, looks a little bit like Caesar. Less menacing, but nonetheless looks like Caesar. Look at this fucking guy, looks like Faust. Or Charles Dickens on fucking, I don't know, hopped up on caffeine. I like how the score <laughs> was piano when it was like synced up to her playing the piano. I don't know if I've ever heard the original score of the film. I don't know if any recordings of it exist or anything. Um, I do have the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari on Blu-ray. It's like a Kino edition. See, there's Caesar, only looking a little less insane. He's part of the insane asylum. Look, there's Caesar. Never allow him to tell you your fortune or you're dead. And everyone's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, that dude's just fucking chilling, playing with flowers. But... I haven't seen the Kino Blu-ray yet. I do have it. Um, I'm not sure what score they have on it. They might have this score. I don't know. But. <laughs> it's all sinking in now. Was any of this real? He looks pretty happy. Yet. Sad. He's like, there's my fiance. 
Or is it? But where is Caligari? He's about to get denied because she doesn't know who the fuck he is. I would imagine or he's just another guy in the fucking hospital with her. <laughs> I don't know if Gilda Langer was alive when they shot this or not. If she... If she was, they probably would have got her to play Jane. I mean, she was the basis of the character, as I mentioned, but maybe not. Maybe she was shooting something else at the time. Um, but yeah, that's such a tragedy that she died only at the age of 23, and it's crazy that a fortune teller predicted it. Now, who is this? Is that Caligari? He's looking pretty normal, if you ask me. He doesn't look like this insane fucking guy who would carry out these elaborate murder plots. He just looks like the supervisor of the asylum, the director. The Dr. Seward of the asylum, if you will. So, who knows? Was any of this real? Or no? I Once again, I love the title cards. He's fucking attacking the guy. Pretty sure he's about to end up in the straitjacket, if you ask me. We see, like, the duality. Like, we just saw Caligari being put into the straitjacket, and now we're seeing our titular hero, Francis, being put into the straitjacket. And this is the closing scene of the film, actually. Um, there's not much more to it than this. Um, but at the beginning of the film, did you see this coming? That this was all a dream? Or all a false reality? Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Even so, we don't know if this is true or not, because we're about to see this final shot here. And um, who knows what's real and what isn't. Um, I also find that other doctor in the background to be very iconic for some reason. Um, just the way he looks, like I always think of him. Not the one with the, uh, the beard on that side, but the one with like the fucking eraser head hair on the other side. At last, now I understand his delusion. He thinks that I am the mystic Caligari. Now I know exactly how to cure him. Look at that face. Then it zooms in. There's our final shot. And that is the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. That is the end of the film. I hope that you guys enjoyed this watch along. I hope that all of you, um, and there's the guy who did the score. I, I'm just going to talk through like the ending credits here. Um, I hope you guys all enjoyed this um, review slash watch along commentary, 15 Phenomenal Facts, whatever you guys want to call it. Um, shout out to all the musicians out there. Um, and yeah, if you guys haven't already, please make sure you subscribe to my channel and turn on notifications so you know when I post new videos. And if you were to give this video a thumbs up and share it with a friend, it would be greatly appreciated. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or the Anchor app, wherever you're listening to this, make sure you subscribe to the show. Leave a rating and review if you can. And I got to talk for 22 more seconds. I hope you guys are having a great Halloween season. I hope you guys have been watching everything. This is apparently the 2002 Kino version. Um, and I will see you guys back on YouTube tomorrow for another episode from the House of Horror. So, as always, you guys, take care and stay spooky.